Well, good morning, church at home. It is so good to be here with you this morning. And I've really enjoyed journeying through this God Has a Name series these past few weeks. And if you've just joined us, we are focusing on a small portion of scripture where God reveals his character to us, his people for the first time. And honing in on one verse is such a helpful Bible study tool. And I love that we are soaking on a verse that unpacks the very essence of who God is, because who knows that we become like the one we worship. And so it's so important that we try and seek God for who he is and not just who we think he is or who we hope he is or as best as we can in our humanness anyway, because God is always revealing himself to us. And um, I, for one, never want to get complacent with the name or the character or the image of God. Amen. So let's dive straight into this text together. It's Exodus 34, 6. And today we are focusing on the end of verse 6. And if you haven't heard Singer's message last week on slow to anger, get around it. It was so honest and insightful and just really great and helpful. But um, let's read this verse together now. Exodus 34, 6. Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Now, remember, this is the very first time in the Bible where God reveals his character to us and tells us not just his name, but who he is. And we pay attention to first because they set precedence for stories that follow. So there is so much that God wants to reveal to, her, to us here. And these words, love and faithfulness uh, in the ancient Hebrew language were hesed and emet. Now, hesed is a sweeping panoramic word that we don't really have an equivalent for in English, but it can be translated as steadfast love, unfailing love or covenant loyalty. And it's actually one of the most important aspects of God's character, the only character trait in this that is repeated. We read it here, abounding in love and faithfulness. And again, in the next line, maintaining love to the thousands. So like God speaks of this love twice, back to back. So he really wants us to know that he is spilling over in his head. And then there's amet or faithfulness. But this word literally means truth and it's connected to the word amen. You know, when people usually say amen, when something really resonates within within them, like, don't worry everyone, there's more garlic bread to come. And it's like, amen, you know? So this amet can also be translated as trustworthy. And it has this idea of reliability. You can count on this God. This God is not going to let you down. And so this pairing of love and faithfulness is used all over the Bible. There are literally hundreds of examples of this pairing. You know, Yahweh's love and faithfulness are one of the major themes of the Bible and one of the main reasons for worship in the Psalms. So we're getting this picture that we can rely on this God. He will never leave us or give up. He is steady. We can lean on him. In fact, what the translators are trying to say is that this love is covenantal love. Now, covenant is, or covenant love is a word from another time, and it's a hybrid between a contract and a promise. So 
Uh, it's more than a legally binding agreement. It's, it's relational in nature. I think, you know, the closest thing that we'd have to it today is marriage. So this covenant is where two or more people would make a promise and then they'd sign a contract with clearly defined blessings or curses for keeping or breaking that promise. And in those days, a covenant was sealed. And this, <laughs> this is where it gets a bit strange if it hasn't already. So it's a bit weird, but bear with me. They would seal a covenant by taking an animal or a calf, cutting it in half, lying the pieces on the ground, and each party would take turns walking through the pieces as, as if to say, may it happen to me as these pieces if I do not uphold my end of the bargain. May I be cut off. May my blood be spilled. It's pretty, pretty full-on visual, so I'm really sorry, vegans and vegetarians. I too feel a little bit ill. Um, but just hold this idea of covenant in your mind just for later, okay? We've got to come back to it. Bookmark it. But here, God is telling Moses about his covenantal love. Moses, I'm that faithful. I'm willing to put my body on the line. God will never let him down. So why is it that sometimes life doesn't seem to stack up with what God says? How come our life doesn't always reflect a faithful God? Why is it that sometimes our circumstances, our lived experience, what we walk through can leave us asking, God, hello, are you there? You know, we can't seem to find work or family just keeps getting hit with sickness or we've been walking through this road of waiting on a breakthrough and we can be left thinking, ah, God, are you paying attention? Are you sure you are who you say you are? It doesn't always feel like God is faithful and sometimes it just feels, feels like God has literally forgotten what he said. If you've ever felt that way, you're, you're not alone. We can see this story played out in the scriptures, particularly, particularly in the story of Abram. And what I love about the scriptures is that they are so honest so honest in expressing the human experience of us relating to God. And this is interesting because Abram's story is not only a great example of a life just, you know, not adding up to there being a faithful God, but the story of Abram is actually the first time that we're introduced to said this covenantal love. See, God made Abram a promise way back in Genesis 12. In Genesis 12 too, it says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. <laughs> like pretty amazing promise, especially for a man with no kids in his mid seventies, right? Like Abram's delighted. God comes and he gives basically the ultimate heart's desire of the time, heritage, legacy, descendants, a great nation will be birthed through you. And like he heard God and he's holding onto this incredible promise. But jump ahead in time to chapter 15, where we think there's about 10 years from the original promise in chapter 12. And we see that after all that time has passed, Abram and his wife are still childless, still and Abram is sitting in his tent, discouraged, having an honest chat with God or whining, which is, you know, relatable. 
saying, God, this is a paraphrase, God, what good is all your blessings? What good is this promise of being a father of a great nation when I don't even have one child? Now only my servant is going to be my heir. God, what good is all your blessings? I haven't even got a job. You haven't even healed my mum yet. You haven't even come through on the one thing that you said you'd do. Hello, God, are you there? And Abram's discouraged, he's defeated. You know, a decade is a long time to wait for someone who is now in their mid eighties, you know, Abram's heard it all before. Chapter 12, God says, I'll make your name great. Chapter 13, God tells Abram, I will make your descendants as numerous as the dust beneath your feet. In fact, three times God promises Abram millions of kids and now he's fed up. He's like, talk is cheap. Forget father of a nation. I'll settle for one baby. Just give me one heir, God. How many of us on this faith journey can be felt left feeling discouraged, like time is passing and there's still no answers. How many of us have felt God speak something over our lives at one point? You know, a promise, maybe it was a prophetic word or, you know, just a whisper in your heart. Maybe it was a promise for over your life or maybe it was just that you'd get through a season, but there seems to have been some sort of delay. Time is passing and it seems God still hasn't come through on his word. You know, and over the years, we've, you know, been to all the church services, had all the worship moments, had all the words of encouragement and we've seen and heard it all before. But like Abram, talk is cheap and we're getting tired of hoping. Forget as numerous as dust, God, just give me one kid. Unmet expectation, unfulfilled dreams, loss, grief. The reality of it all can just be all-consuming. And Abram, Abram was there, sitting in this place, in his tiny little tent, discouraged, full of lost hope. Now here is where we pick up that covenant love again. Stick with me, that hesed love. God enters into a covenant with Abram and actually does something so powerful that is never done. You know how we talked earlier and we explained how they made a covenant in those days by walking through the animal pieces? Well, God takes it one step further. Here in chapter 15, verse 9, God tells Abram to bring the animals and lay the pieces out on the ground. But here's where it gets weirder, if it can. He puts Abram into a deep sleep and in this state, Abram sees this vision of God going through the pieces and more so only God going through the pieces. See, God went through for both of them. Unheard of. In other words, church, God said, may this be as to me if I don't keep my promise to you, Abram, but may this also be as to me if you don't keep yours. Wow, this is the gospel. This 
is the good news. It doesn't start in Matthew. It starts way back in Genesis. This is God saying, I am who I say I am, even when it doesn't feel like it. God is faithful. Even when we're not, God keeps his promise. Even when we fail, even when we walk away, even when we get impatient and doubt and wonder where he is in the mess of it all, he is faithful at his own cost. And the cost was Jesus. See, we are human and we're flawed and we fail to hold up our end of the bargain. But his son Jesus' blood was shed so that we could be in covenantal love, covenantal relationship with him. <sighs> See, church, what this story tells me is that in the middle of our doubt, for how things will turn out, God is less interested in trying to convince us of a good outcome and more interested in convincing us of who he is. He gave Abram a promise many times, three times in fact. God told Abram the great outcome that was set before him, but what made all the difference was God showing Abram who he was, the God who goes through the pieces for us. God is less interested in convincing us of outcomes and more interested in revealing to us who he is. How this turns out shouldn't be the focus. Who he is should be. He is faithful. He is love. Who he is is more important than how this ends. Because ultimately, church, we know how this ends. He sent his son Jesus as the fulfillment of the prophets, the fulfillment of the covenant. And John Mark Comer, who wrote the book, God Has a Name, he says, Jesus takes all our failure, a millennia of broken promises, and he drags it to the cross, absorbing it in his death and then breaking its hold over humanity through his resurrection. That's how this ends, church. Even when it doesn't look like it, even when we feel lost, the eternal perspective is Jesus comes through. He wins. He's victorious. So therefore, so are we. God is less interested in trying to convince us of a good outcome and more interested in convincing us of who he is. Man, I was so thankful when God dropped this truth into my spirit the other day. You know, this message... Uh, if I'm honest, it's been a wrestle. I guess our family is kind of in the middle of a place at the moment where we're trying to focus on who God is, and I'll share more in a minute. But oh, the faithfulness of God can't be dependent on whether or not we get what we want because outcomes change. Our outcomes are complex. See, the last time I spoke, I shared a little bit uh, of the difficulty I had around having my boys, and so when I had my first son my pelvis split and I was in a wheelchair. Like I struggled just walking 10 meters. Like I was in, I was in a pretty dark place. I was scared. I was in chronic pain. I had my medical professionals telling me it may not get better. And you start thinking, man, like, am I ever gonna walk properly again? And the hardest part was that I was told that it would be worse if 
like I decided to go back for a second kid, which, you know, is a pretty hard thing to hear when you've always wanted two babies and you've already spent two and a half years trying to recover unsuccessfully. And it's like, you know, can we go through this again? What's it going to cost us? But, but, but God, we decided to be brave and have our second son, Vox. And I firmly believe that we experienced a miracle. To the amazement of my team, I moved better two days post-Vox than I ever did two years post-Jad being born. Not only did it not get worse, it actually got better, which is ridiculous. And I really believe that God heard all my family and all my church family's prayers. And we often celebrate that miracle. You know, great outcome, right? But fast forward another year and my husband Ricky was in a pretty horrific bike accident. He was on a training ride for our charity ride that we run, Ride for Change, um, and his brakes gave out and he ended up hitting a wall at 62 k's. And many people watching right now would know that feeling of, you know, rocking up to emergency, not knowing what, what you're about to face. And I tell you what, I praised God so hard when I saw that he was breathing. I thanked God so much when they cleared him of spinal injuries and we, we knew he'd walk again. And I was overwhelmed with gratitude when they told us that they'd avoided having to amputate his left arm. But what we didn't expect was to still be holding our breath and holding hope for a functional arm. Great outcome? Yes. Absolutely, there's so much gratitude, but also grief over what was. And if I'm honest, we're still currently walking through, readjusting to the new normal and still holding hope for God to bring a miracle. And this is, this is the complexity, right? This is the tension we often hold. We don't always get an answer. We don't always get the outcome. One minute we're celebrating healing and the next we're waiting for another, holding gratitude in one hand and grief for what was lost in the other. Life is a constant dance of joy and pain. And what I've learned is God's faithfulness is not proved in only a specific outcome. God never promised that we'd never experience the tough. But God's faithfulness is who he is and what he's proven time and time again and all through the scriptures is that he is faithful. He will never leave us. He is with us through it all. See, what I nearly missed in this series in preparing for this moment was the immediate context for all the verses that we've been going through, right? Before Yahweh, Yahweh, compassionate and gracious God, just seven little words that set the scene for everything we've been focusing on. Are you ready? And he passed in front of Moses. That's his presence. God is present. He is the God who comes close. And the true faithfulness of God is that he will never leave us, never leave us. He is with us in the tough seasons, especially in the wilderness. Because church, there are measures of God that you can only experience in the valley. 
And God's faithfulness is the promise of his presence. His presence meets us and it carries us. And his presence changes everything. We may not get answers on outcomes, but his presence supernaturally brings perspective like nothing else. See, sometimes in our humanness, focusing on our circumstances, our situation can shrink, shrink our perspective. And we focus so hard on the outcome that we haven't got yet and we lose sight of who God is and how he is already at work. You know, like Abram sitting in his tiny little tent, like slumped, slumped shoulders, complaining to God about what he didn't have. I love that in that moment, God's presence graciously meets him there. And it says, chapter 15, verse 5, God took him outside and he says, look up. Took him out of his perspective, his tiny tent, his small mind, took him out of that and says, look up at the sky and count the stars. So shall your offspring be. His presence bringing divine perspective. So this is my encouragement for when you feel like things aren't adding up to a faithful God. Come outside, look up. It's a posture, a posture that leans into presence and in turn perspective. Perspective to see as we look up at the huge expanse of stars, his bigness and his majesty, the faithfulness of God, not in how this ends, but in who he is. Looking up and seeing that We are a part of a broader story. The arc of God's faithfulness spans through eternity and and includes us, yes, but it goes beyond us. We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, those who have gone before us, and there will be those that come after us. And you know what? If you read Abram's story in detail, God's promise to Abram, that faithfulness that would be fulfilled, the, the great nation through him, It was fulfilled in the generations after Abram. This life is not all there is. We may not see the promise in our way and in our time, but God is faithful and that's perspective. I'm comforted by this broader story on so many, so many levels, that this is bigger than me, knowing that I am and always will be carried on the collective faith in who God is. You know, when when I lost hope in my healing, when I was weary from trying to look up, I could look around and see the family of God looking up on my behalf, describing the stars, describing God's goodness and reminding me of his faithfulness. And even now in the middle of this season that we're journeying of recovery. We have our passes in the Sally Ansels of our lives, reminding us that we don't have to fight this on our own, saying, you know, we'll pray on your behalf. You don't even have to keep hope. We'll hope for you. Man, the broader story, perspective, his presence. And at the end of the day, nothing else matters. Because when you're in the middle of it, Answers don't help. 
Nothing anyone can say can make it easier, right? Like, trust me, there were a lot of lovely, well-meaning Christians saying things like, everything happens for a reason. And I know, you know, they're trying to bring comfort. It's nice, but it just doesn't hit, you know? And in the words of Bill Johnson, answers don't help when we're hurting, but presence will. And so some people tuning in this morning, you're feeling a little like Abram. You're feeling a little defeated. Like all this time has passed and still waiting, still no fulfillment of a promise. And you're tempted to question whether God is actually a faithful God. Why, I believe God is breathing hope over you again, not for an outcome, but for a faithful God despite the outcome, for a present God in either outcome. Because the real miracle is that He is the God who is near. His presence changes everything and His presence is bringing perspective. And the most practical example of this perspective and looking up that I can think of right now is worship sitting in his presence in worship, shifting our focus off our circumstances and our situation and onto his goodness, his faithfulness. It is literally getting out of our tent and looking up. So we're gonna spend some time looking up and soaking in God's perspective this morning. But you know, the, the ironic thing is that when you are walking through a valley, you know, Usually worship is the last thing that you feel like doing. You know, you're tired. You don't want to lift your hands. But in my tough seasons, I've been so comforted by the words of Bill Johnson. Uh, he did this iconic message just three days after his wife, Benny, died from cancer. And in this message, he said that worship is a sacrifice. It has to cost us something. He said that, you know, when he's heartbroken, he lifts his eyes, he lifts his hands and worships. Because worshipping through pain is a sacrifice he can only give this side of heaven. What an honour. What a gift to offer God. In heaven there will be no grief, no tears, no mourning. This side of eternity is the only time we will be able to offer God a sacrifice of worship flavoured with pain. Wow, what a perspective. Let's bring our gratitude and our grief in our worship this morning, church, to the one who is faithful. And let's allow his spirit to encourage our souls and right-size our circumstances that through it all, he is good, he is love, and he is faithful.